Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hey, Barry, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I am fine and happy to talk about Marshall McLuhan today. Yeah, I'm happy and fine as well, but maybe not as fine. McLuhan always gives me uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, I approach him with a little bit of trepidation. But anyways, uh, today we are talking about his 1970 book, uh, Culture is Our Business, which I believe is a follow-up to uh, his more famous work, uh, mm-hmm. The Medium is the Mass Age. And, um, you, you know, I said a second ago that, that McLuhan gives me, uh, I, I, I approach him warily. Th- this one, uh, for, for listeners who aren't aware, is a bit of a collage where he's still working, you know, he's working with advertising. Yeah. Um, but the book is you know, easily half ads themselves that he's sort of interacting with and playing with. Mm -hmm. And so um, it it took me a little bit to get my head around what he's doing and why he's doing. Um, But I think in, uh, in terms of, you know, ranking our, our, our our fondness for McLuhan, you, you outstrip me a little bit. I think you're the bigger Stan here. So um, (laughs) Bear, I'm going to hand it to you. What, what was your, what was your take? What's he doing here? Well, I, I think, um, wow, that's a, that's a big question. And I'm, uh, I'm going to try to be very modest in my answer, but I'll start off by talking uh, about what you just responding to what you just said. Uh, I don't think it's an easy read, even though there's a lot of visuals, it's not a necessarily easy read. Um, the reader, in fact, I think the book presents challenges because um the book presents a kind of unique set of challenges because it's trying to become an environment. I'll try to explain what I mean by that later, but um, at, at the most obvious level, it's not about the pictures. It's not a picture book. It's not an old fashioned monograph that advances an argument. It's a little bit of both. And so to pay attention to the book, to understand the book, you have to not just look at the pictures or look at the images, and you can't just read the text either. You can't just read the text and follow the argument. You're going to have to collect the text. You're going to have to find meaning by bringing, by letting the two things, like a collage, right? The, the form of the book is unusual. But in order to get a meaning, you're going to have to put the, the two halves of the book together and try to find a way to combine them. Right. And so that's, that, that's what you're talking about. That's what gave me a lot of pause is because I think we are so accustomed to a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. With, no narrative, like in a monograph. I, you know, I remember I was, uh, um, I went to a lecture by Bill Germano, William Germano at the university. I, I think he was, I can't remember the university he was uh, associated with, and I'm losing all my memory, but it doesn't matter. But I remember Bill Germano's main point. He was talking to a lot of assistant professors and he was saying, you know what? If you want to publish your dissertation, you have to remember one thing. Even though you don't think you're telling a story with your research, you are. So you have to write your book, whatever your book is about, whatever the findings of your research are, whatever your research topic is, you have to think of it as like you're presenting a story to the reader and you're and it's a narrative and you have to build sort of narrative drama or have a narrative structure uh, and you have to present your research findings in that way. Now, McLuhan does have a research argument and there is a trajectory, but it's not easy to follow. No, I, you know, again, 
to me, I was trying to figure out where I went wrong with this, I guess is the way I'll say. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think it was, uh, Barth's, um, rhetoric of the image that that was in my head. Are we allowed to talk about French post-structuralists? No, no, (laughs) this is a quick step, but you know, there, there, there've been a handful of, um, essays and, and, and books written where advertising is the sure. focus, sure. but what they tend to be doing is deconstructing the way the advertisement the ad itself. Right, right, works. Right. And I came into this, you know, okay, so it's McLuhan. We're certainly talking about media. We're talking about this. I understand the idea of form and content or the tension between form and content that he's playing with. But I think that we're so habituated to talk in terms of a specific thing and what that specific thing does. We're looking so Absolutely. much at, we're looking at so Absolutely. much at, at content. Absolutely. I mean, I think you make a great point. I'm glad you brought it in far uh, because, and I think this is kind of his greatness. Uh, yet again, I'm a stan uh, with McLuhan because you're right. Bart may not want Roland Bart, the French, uh, well, he, actually he was everything, right? He was a structuralist. He was a Marxist. He was a phenomenologist. He was a post-structuralist. He, and he, he loved his mom a lot. Mm-hmm. And he wrote great books about uh, pictures of his mom. He was a photograph. He was a media critic, too, because right, he wrote right. the wonderful book on photography. Anyway, um, Bart has this, you know, Bart has had this wonderful sensibility and amazing sense of, he was an amazing writer with an amazing sense of rhetorical, with, with an awesome rhetorical authority. When he's deconstructing an image, you know he knows what he's talking about. McLuhan does not write from the position of mastery that even Roland Barthes assumed. Mm -hmm. And that's his difference. And I think um, that McLuhan's approach makes sense because fundamental, one of his fundamental ideas, it makes sense for him, just in the same way that Barthes betrays himself in a way by saying, I'm going to talk about how images construct us but i'm going to be i have a very firm command of the ways in which this image is manipulating me and giving me false consciousness and contributing to my false consciousness McLuhan, in a way is more modest because his fundamental premise is what his fundamental premise is this new media environment created by television and advertising and the synergy between these things I can't master it. And neither can you, neither can you, Michael Rapici, neither can you, Barry Falk. And guess what? I, Marshall McLuhan, I'm as much of a product of this environment when I enter this environment as anyone else. There is no master to when we're talking about media environments. Yeah. And I, I, so this is a question that I want to ask about that. The inability to master isn't so much a case of your incapable of doing this because you haven't figured it out. Yeah, right, right. It's exactly. it's more a case of like you can't master it. Because- it's ontological, Michael. Right. It's, yes. it's, it's it's the nature of things. It's yes. not like you're dumb and you haven't figured it out. I mean, let's think of Bart's mythologies when he was still writing from uh, a kind of you know Marxist, committed Marxist or Marxist adjacent position. I mean, when he does those masterful deconstructions of advertisements. 
he he knows the truth that maybe his readers don't know right he has a he has his uh, he has a handle on he has a Marxist interpretation of the world. If your reader doesn't, if the reader doesn't have a Marxist interpretation of um, uh, of the social system, then you know the reader needs to learn it, and then they will be as informed as Bart. That's not what McLuhan is doing. No. Okay, so um, with that <laughs> with that out of the way, well, we got that out of the way. How about we just sort of wrap up this episode right now? Let's... No, no, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what to do. I didn't answer your question. I just went into the. Uh, this huge digression, but hopefully uh, a colorful I think, digression. I think, and I think else. a helpful digression because I think, again, it is our pre, I think we're predisposed to approach discussions of media in that way. I think McLuhan really presents a profoundly unnatural entry into the discussion of media, and it is completely disorienting. Okay. Uh, you know, even, even knowing what I should be walking into your, your first steps are so out of, out of sync with what he's doing, because I think that we know, again, in, in terms of the tensions between form and content, we naturally gravitate towards content. And I think that's one of the things that's absolutely right. And it's one of the things that makes advertising so incredibly powerful is that that's wrong. Right. That advertising is an environment. Okay. So now I'm going to try to do the most gestural tentative answer to your question about what's up with McLuhan, but I'm going to do it in a way that it's really honest how I'm approaching it because I basically only grasp one idea from the medium is the mass age and also from, from, um, this this current text that we're talking about culture oh, which i'm forgetting culture is our business is our business the big idea that he's working with here is so big that if I, you know if my only takeaway is i get more comfortable with thinking using this big idea as part of my mental equipment uh, i think i'll have advanced somewhat so um Here's the big idea I take from this. And it's a really big idea and that I find it so challenging for the reason you just said, it's not intuitive for me. Mm -hmm. As a book learned person, as an older book learned person, I think logos matters. I think words matter. I think content matters. And I think about that if I'm reading a hardcore, um, you know, um, uh, a material book, book that's printed, or if I'm reading uh, an ebook, I'm still using my my notion of you know, my literate notion that words matter. The printed word matters. Argument matters. Truth matters. And there's a whole hierarchy of truths and falsity, right? So that's the old. And McLuhan is basically McLuhan, good Catholic that he was, nonetheless. His first lesson, his obvious lesson is moralizers need to step away. All these moralizers, all these logo-centered people, they got to step back and understand the media for what it is. And here's his big idea, that in the media, the content, the logos of the thing doesn't matter. What matters is the form. And if you're thinking, I don't know what the fuck you mean by form. I'm going to give you a precise, a pre- precise substitute. 
for that word. Not the content matters in media, but the media is always a form. And by form, he means environment. And what does he mean by environment? If the word isn't, uh, if the word isn't self-explanatory, I'll just add a couple fillers in here to, to fill it out, a couple points to fill it out. What he means by environment is something bigger than you, something that is all-encompassing, something that is so pervasive. And his analogy is the fish in water. Fish don't understand water until they're on the beach and they have to deal with it until they're beached and they have to deal with air. The environment is the thing that is so much a part of you, is so much bigger than you, that you're so symbi that you have a symbiotic relationship with. And that relation is so strong that human consciousness doesn't really register too much awareness of that environment until you're deprived of that environment, uh, until all of a sudden you're locked out of that environment. Um, and that's what media is, starting with the telegraph, starting with the telegraph, 1844, we started having media technology that where the environment created by the media message is more important than the content of the media messages. And everything since the telegraph, radio, television, and I'm sure Marshall would say the internet, and I'm sure he would say our cell phones. All these media, they don't so much constitute advances, though in a way they do, but they certainly um, uh, constitute perfections of technique, to use Jock Alul's word. Right. And they're all working as environments, not as, even though we, so, one last thing, we typically talk about media, the media gives us information. Uh, Yes, but that's not what McLuhan is saying. Information, insofar as information is logos and reason and argument, that's not what media is doing, or it's not mostly what media is doing. To understand how media works, you have to understand the environment that the new media technology provides. Yeah, I man, that's it's a big a, idea, right? And I was going to say, that's a whole lot to unpack. And I think right. that... Right. There's a way that we can maybe use his own words here to help clarify this. And I think that the fish and water uh, example is really helpful. And it's one that Stiegler has used. Uh, sure. it, it, it's, it's a common one, right. And so this is the idea that the uh, for, for those who haven't heard it. Right. So two fish, the story I heard, which I think um, uh I heard this first from David Foster Wallace uh, in, a, in a talk he gave. And he's basically, you know, two fish are swimming along and an older fish comes along and says, Hey boys, how's the water? And they just look at him and they swim off. And then one says to the other, what's water, right? And this idea that we don't recognize our environments because we're completely uh, immersed in them. Um, so I think that one of the words that you use that I thought was interesting is this idea of consciousness. You know, what are we aware of? And I think given the magnitude of a media environment, singular, because this is all pervasive, one of the things that we try and do, uh, evidenced by my difficulty in, you know, I, I guess we'll say switching gears here, uh, is to recognize just how big, you know, to mix my metaphors here, how big the water is, right? How big the ocean big we're swimming is, in right. is. Um, and so I think that what we, naturally try and do in uh 
you know, in, 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 in the name of creating safety or mastery or understanding is that we partition off the environments. We say this is this and that is that. We try and create distinctions within them uh, so that we can more readily grasp what's happening. And this privileges content over form, which McLuhan would argue is false. Um, well, this is a long preamble into saying, uh, and into getting to this point. In his introduction here, just a single sentence, he says, business and culture have become interchangeable in the new information environment. Right. And I, I think it's important to just to sort of de, you know, deconstruct this a little bit. He's arguing that there is a single environment, right? That this is one media environment. There are not multiples. We are all swimming in one giant media environment or one giant information environment. And this idea of business and culture that we want to think of them perhaps as separate or is not necessarily synonymous, right? That there can be a culture that is distinct from business, right? That there is a non-business place somewhere. Right. And I think that what he's saying is, no, that's, that's wrong. Were you going to say something? Well, I was about to just about, I, I was intrigued by the way you phrased that the non-business place. Is that non-business place a private place? Is it a place of leisure? Well, I, th- I think, think? we'd, li- I think we'd like to believe so, you know? Okay. So this, this got me, I, I have a, um, a student right now who's, who's working on a paper uh, that discusses the work-life balance, right? <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> can they send me the paper when they're done? True story. No, I don't know about that. But the, the idea there, right, is that there is a separation between work and life. And I think that we're talking about two separate environments there. And I think that we cling to this, right? Like there's an inside and an outside. There's a public and there's a right. private. We have right. these right. different spheres. Right. And what, what McLuhan seems to be arguing here is that no, that there's not, that the media environment, the information environment yeah. is the water in which we all swim. Absolutely. And I think that the, like the, the, to, to illustrate this, the, the thought that came to mind and, you know, we can go to 1970 here. It's certainly worse now, but 1970, you know, the person sitting at their kitchen table, reading the newspaper, eating breakfast, enjoying a personal private detached moment is consuming massive amounts of advertising in that paper and not just the pictures, right? Not the words that are telling the story of the day. He talks about this elsewhere where it's all a media environment. These are all sort of stories that create a, uh, what, what to form a curated reality Beautiful. You're thinking, really thinking like McLuhan when you're talking about the newspaper as a kind of, you know, proto-internet. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And that's my point is that if that's the case in 1970, you know, if you fast forward 50 years, this is 10, I mean, by, by, I don't say 10 times, this is, this is, you know, by, by a factor of 10, uh, this has been magnified where we are constantly swimming in one massive envi- you know, media environment. Even our personal spaces are saturated here. There's no distinction between us and something else. There's the, I guess there is no private is what, what, what I'm seeing in this. There's the, 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 the idea of distinct spheres is bunk. He, he I think, fairly convincingly uh, 
Let, let me interrupt you just to ask a question because I really love how you're refining this conversation. So do you, w- would you agree with this statement? I'm going to sort of re- restate what I think you're, you're telling us here. And so, but I, I don't know if, this is a, if you'll take this as a friendly amendment. Do you think McLuhan is arguing that in the wake of the media environment, as I mentioned earlier, he thinks of the telegram as not different in kind from the newspaper or from the television or from the radio, but maybe, but maybe he, but maybe he would uh, agree with this slight formulation and reformulation, and maybe you would too. Do you think he would feel that in the wake of television and television advertising, that the public-private split? which we wanted to believe in, and maybe was easy to believe in in the 19th century, I don't know, that, that's arguable. But it, it basically, by the time you have television, you have the evaporation or the total eradication of the boundaries between public and private that, you, that you're talking about. Do you think, in other words, we can talk about the erratic, as soon as you have television, do you have a media environment that nullifies the difference between public and private? I'm, I'm trying to think about how far we want to go with this. Yes, absolutely. In fact, okay. I, think, I think we go back further. I, I think the minute we have the printing press, okay. we, we, we lose that distinction of public and private because it now, the, the media now is everywhere. It is, right. it is consumable everywhere. And certainly... Um, I think with with television um, and um, the visual environments that you know, visual the, environments, the, yeah, the, thank the you. screens right. with screens, screens. Um, they become um, not just more pervasive, but um, you know maybe borderline narcotic, right? Immersive, like, immersive, yeah, right. But yeah, but you, but yeah. but but not just. I mean, you know, we but but immersive in a very addicting way. That we mm-hmm. want to, we 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 crave this. We want to be a part of this because uh, it's home. Because it's warm and fuzzy, and and advertise and and according to we haven't talked specifically about advertising, but advertising uh, in the larger uh, context of of uh, culture is our business. Advertising is primarily not about a content. It's about creating a feeling of warm fuzziness and inclusion that absorbs the viewer, that absorbs the spectator. Yeah, and I think absorb is an interesting word to choose there, you know, because it's not, it's not just surrounding us or washing over mm-hmm. us. It's literally absorbing. I mean, we are becoming synonymous with the environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It absorbs us into the environment, so we become it, absolutely. Well, Michael, I distracted you, though, from your point. I think you were because I was interested in, you know, how you were making that argument and what you were thinking, what you were implying about visual media. Did you want to say something about how business, uh, what this means about the modern meaning of business? Well, I, I don't know so much that I, I think it's a good, maybe a good segue to a second point that I was okay. able to take from this, yeah. which is really, and, and you would talked about this early in term and earlier in terms of, um, you know, uh, logos, Right. And, and, and sort of the the impression that we have uh, that there's some sort of, again, that privileges content. Right. This idea that we, we, we are consuming a content here as opposed to being part and parcel with this. And, and so maybe um, 
what I would say is in, in looking through, you know, his argument here about advertising and um, again, not as content, but as form. One of the things that's interesting is that he, he seems to make the argument here that the notion of authenticity or of accuracy, I guess, you know, in, in terms of the, um, the logos of, of, of the content, that it's, in, that it's irrelevant almost, that what matters in, the, in advertising is impact over authenticity, that, we, mm -hmm. that, that, that something needs to have an impact. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad or right or wrong or up and down. It's does it register. Um, and in a way, this, this gets back to the discussion we had uh, last time about or earlier about uh, the Ross Duthat, um, you know, how, how to combat fake news and, 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 and this, this world of, you know, fake news that we live in. I, I think McLuhan would say that's the wrong way of looking at it because you're not, it's not about content. It's about form and mm -hmm. fake news is no, I, I'm going to just sort of take a liberty here with, with McLuhan and say that he would argue that fake news is no different than real news. Um, right. Because, it's, it's the, the news. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, the problem with fake news is that it's a moralizing term. I think McLuhan would say, right. Right. What you have, you don't have fake news and you don't have true news. What you have, according to McLuhan is a news environment. That's what you're saying. Well, yeah, but I don't even know that you have the news environment. You just have the environment and you're reacting mm -hmm. to your environment. And so, you know, when someone throws something ridiculous out there, um, if it resonates, then it's an active part of the environment. And if it fails to resonate, um, then, you know, it's, it's, it's just part of the water we're not currently swimming in. So, um, yeah, my, you know, in, in thinking about this uh, authenticity versus, uh, you know, I guess basically in, in thinking about the tension between pathos and logos, logos. Um, you know, what my, my takeaway from today with the cultures, our business and, and McLuhan at large, and really, uh, I think this has shades of a lot of the other people we've talked about uh, on the podcast, you know, we're sort of predisposed to look at content over form. And so the takeaway here is that when we start looking at content over form, that leads us to moralize, that leads us to think in terms of good or bad. I think that invites a form of binary thinking, binary thinking. Which, which really is going to create a, a sort of very um, you know narrow field of vision that, that we, we fail to see when we, when we privilege content, we're going to fail to see the broader impacts of, of, of the form. And so I think though McLuhan's incredibly difficult to access simply because it's so unnatural feeling. Um, I think there's something there. And so, yeah, that's, that's my takeaway is that, that content leads us to to, to moralization and that, you know, if we could access form, we'd be better able to see, um, you know, the impact that the, the environment is having as a whole. And maybe, uh, I my, love my, maybe my student can use that to get to work-life balance. Somehow. Uh, I would think not, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <Me neither>. but, <laughs> um, but 
I, I think you said something really important here that kind of adds to our discussion. And we, we said it at various points and you just summarized it uh, nicely um, that um, McLuhan's approach is not a moralistic approach. I think you gave us another way of, of um, another reason for why he is trying to reject what we would call a moralizing approach because the moralizing approach is necessarily a binary approach. I think that those two things go together. Uh, moral, the problem with moralizing is not that it brings in another set of criteria to the media environment. The problem with bringing in a moralizing attitude is that those tend to be binarisms and a binarism doesn't equip you mentally to appre appreciate or work with the challenge of the media environment, the all-encompassing media environment. So I think you use that word binary and I thought that clicks because that's really the reason why he is, you know, skeptical about moralistic dismissals or, you know, uh, propaganda for certain media forms, for new media forms. Now, I'm going to surprise you and myself. I'm going to talk about my takeaway and I'm going to surprise you and me because I'm going to kind of contradict where I've been most of this episode and where I was just now when I was uh, stating and affirming uh, the value of your insight that um, getting rid of authenticity thinking, getting rid of moralizing binarism, binary, binary discourse on media environments, um, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a binary. It's a good thing. Uh, I'm going to speak against it, or I'll just say something that makes me concerned about McLuhan. And you know, this hurts me because because of how I feel about it, but I worry about, I, I think the counter charge, I, I think the counter argument against McLuhan's, it's about the media environment, stupid, and media environments are all encompassing and they're absorptive and all these things that we're talking about. I think the counter argument and, and pathos doesn't, uh, logos doesn't count in the power in the face of pathos. I think the counter argument to that would be if you give that much power to the media environment, aren't you in effect submitting to a binary and basically saying there's no hope of intervening in fake news in, in there's no way of curing yourself of the media pharmacon to use Bernard Stieper's term. You can't come up with a therapy. If you think that that environment, pathos is all powerful. Logos has no fucking power. Why am I, I have to do my obligatory swear words, you know, for the episode. It's a part of the uh, co contract. But if pathos has all power and logos has no power, are we in a sense giving in to media and, you know, giving into a kind of techno determinism that we can't afford to, we can't afford to have McLuhan's techno determinism. So I, I, I guess I'm left, my takeaway is as much as I am impressed, as much as I feel it's necessary to take the challenge of this insight, this is a challenging insight and I need to take it on board if I really wanna understand how media works. I worry that maybe McLuhan is conceding too much. That's, a, that's an interesting response to this. Um, and as it's a takeaway, I don't want to pick at it too much because otherwise we risk 
a second thing, but I think that yes. those questions are worth poking at because there's a part of me that says that's a really savvy response to this. So yes, um, I think there is that danger, but at the same time, I think that that response raises certain questions that we may want to come back to. I would agree with you that, and I don't want to pivot to another episode, but I'm glad that we were both, I'm glad that we were both noting at the end of this episode, that this is an artificial closure, that the, the big questions here are going to be explored later in another form. So they remain unanswered. Yeah, because to, to say that we've reached closure would be to say that we swam to the end of the pool. And we didn't swim to, and the, we end didn't the, swim pool. to the pool. But you know, one thing we can do as we, as we sign off, what we can do is invite our listeners. We should be doing this all the time. We're sorry that we haven't. But we invite you to sort of respond to us um, in any way possible through the many social media platforms that we're, we're trying to engage and that you're obviously engaging in. Um, we'd love to hear your take on... Um, on on this debate about media environments and McLuhan's ideas. Absolutely. And it's a great place to do so because you can't really be wrong. <laughs> so that's, that's, that was always my safety flag for jumping in. Didn't, Anyways, we, didn't we already get rid of binarisms and moralizing? We already said that there, there is no right or wrong. That's here, what I'm right? saying. You're, you're, you're safe. Um, not that it would matter a whole lot anyways. Um, Barry, thank you again for uh, a very interesting talk. And um, I, I think thank you again. I, Michael. I, I suspect this is something we'll be circling around to in the in the not too distant future. I agree, Michael. It was a it was a pleasure. Great to talk to you today. And I hope our listeners uh, chime in. Absolutely. All right. Have a good one. Hey there. One more thing real quick. If you have questions or comments about what we've talked about, go ahead and drop us an email from our website at www.criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Critical Media Studies Pod. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com.